When he came to my house, I knew he was a narc, and I told him I'd meet him down at a store. I went down there originally to kill him. My time was over. I didn't want to live anyway, and I was going to go down there and shoot him and let him kill me. Real life starts now. This is Real Life Radio Show with On Leg. I felt alone. I felt lost. I felt scared. Real stories. I was so desperate in living such a dark and callous life. Real people. I was thinking there was no purpose for my life. There's no reason for me to be here. Real problems. I told my dad, if you try to take these drugs, I'm going to kill you. One solution, God. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. And now your host, On Leg. Hi, this is Evangelist Don Lay. Welcome to the Real Life Radio Show, where we're going to talk to real people who had real problems, but found answers in a real God. Today, we're going to talk about a very serious subject, which is what goes on in the mind of someone that wants to commit suicide. The reason why I want to talk about this is because according to the World Health Organization, there are about 703,000 people a year that commit suicide around the world. It's not a pleasant subject to talk about. So listener discretion is advised. Have you ever wondered what happens in the mind of someone who is contemplating suicide? Well, there are many reasons why someone commits suicide. But let me tell you this, all the reasons are wrong. No matter how someone feels they should take their lives, it is always the wrong decision. To illustrate that today, we will have our guest, Wayne Freet, who is a criminal heading to prison. And he's going to open up about how he contemplated suicide and saw that there was no value to his life. But today, he says that Jesus came into his life, saved him from a suicide attempt, and revealed his true purpose and calling. And his path was changed onto a very good path. He's an older gentleman who talks about a story of his past, a life he almost terminated. And he's going to warn us why never to do that in our lives, no matter what. Wayne, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Wayne, it's so good to have you with us today. And I understand you're going to take us back to a time that you almost ended your life. Let me ask, I know in your opinion, you grew up in a good home, had good parents, but then you ended up in juvenile homes as a young man. Tell us about that. Well, I was very miserable. I didn't like myself. I would say things and do things, and then I would find out later. Like, I'd get drunk and forget what I did the night before, and my brother would tell me, Wayne, if you knew what you did, you'd never drink again. I said, well, tell me. And he said, no, I won't tell you. It's too terrible. And as time went on, I guess I just hated myself. I just didn't want to live. Mm. So always through life, you had this theme in your mind that you hated yourself in your life. So it sounds like you out of nowhere started living a reckless life because it sounds like you didn't care anymore. How old were you when you first got into juvenile home? I think the first time I was 15, I would just go in for a week or so, and then I'd be back out. But I was in there three times before I turned 17. And the judge said, the next time you come in here, you're going to Mariana, which was the state boys' school, and you'd be there for a whole year. And so I was so distraught, I got busted. And a week or two after I turned 17, I was able to go to jail. I remember walking into the jail, and some guy said, you want to go to jail? I said, yes, yes, I do, I do. And he thought I'd be kidding, but I hated juvenile home. The guys in there were so mean. They're just mean and dumb and egotistical. At least in jail, you're just in a cell. Wow. So it sounds like you were seeking isolation. Now, I know that deep down inside, there was this overarching theme that you didn't care if you died. And I understand that a lot of the troubles in your life sending you to juvenile hall were centered around doing and eventually dealing drugs. Is that right? 
Yes, and I'm not looking for an excuse to get out of it. But, you know, people don't realize that if you're doing drugs, all your friends want to do drugs, too. And if you've got connections, they'd say, well, sell me some drugs. And I'd say, man, if I sell you drugs, I'd go to prison if I get caught. And before you know it, you might as well make a profit. What I'm getting at. So, I, yeah, I began to sell drugs. And then one day, a narcotics agent ended up at my house. I told all my friends, don't ever, ever, ever bring anybody here. If you want to sell to somebody, you buy from me and go to them. And so when he came to my house, I knew he was a narc. And I told him I'd meet him down at a store. I went down there originally to kill him. I knew my time was over. I didn't want to live anyway. And I was going to go down there and shoot him and let him kill me. And on the way down there, I had this little picture in my mind. I saw him and his wife and his children sitting around the supper table, and they were praying, God, take care of daddy. Take care of daddy. And I realized that I was the bad guy. That was back in the days of Bonnie and Clyde when the movie came out. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go down. Me and my girlfriend, we live together. We're going to go down like Bonnie and Clyde. But when I saw that little picture in my mind about his children praying over and protect our daddy, I thought, man, I'm the bad guy. The cop is really the good guy. Mm. And I decided I'm not going to shoot him. I'm just going to take my pistol and fire a wild shot and let the cop shoot me. That was what was going to happen, but they tackled me and put me in jail. That's a story in itself. But when they put me in jail, I got booked in about 4.30 in the morning. So I was there the whole day long, and then it was nighttime. And I had watched people and learned people. And there was a guy that was a gambler. He'd been in prison for nine years in Texas, and he was just passing back through. They brought him in to testify at a court case, and then he was going back to Texas. So he was a convict of nine years, and he was a gambler. And he was talking to another guy in the cell. He wasn't talking to me. Nobody knew anything. I wasn't saying anything to anybody. I was just waiting for everybody to get quiet so I could take a razor blade and slit my wrist and bleed out in my bunk in the nighttime. But this guy, his name was Betty Franklin. He was talking to another guy named Chris Maple. And he said to Chris, he said, you know, he said, you've got eternity out there just as far as your mind can comprehend. And then he said, you've got this short little space. And he said, that's your life. And on the other side of that, you've got eternity again. And it goes on and on and on. He said, there's no beginning and there's no end. Your life is just a flash of a second compared to eternity. Hmm. Now, I'm really listening to this because I'm waiting for these guys to shut up so I can get on with it. And he's talking about something that is right down my alley. Then he said, now, I don't know if the Bible's true or not, but if there's just one chance in a thousand that the Bible's true, he said, why, man, it'd be a pure fool to take his life, knowing that the Bible says he'd spend the rest of eternity in hell. My goodness, that hit me. I'm telling you, I mean, I'm waiting for these guys just to stop talking and go to sleep so that in the quiet of the night, I can take my life. And he starts talking, not even to me. And I hadn't said anything to anybody. He had no idea what I was going to do. It was amazing. It hit me so hard. I decided I would never take my life. Now, this is a gambler. Remember, I watched him during the day. He's just a gambler looking at the odds. And so I made up my mind I would never do that. But I got out of jail on bond. That means I still had to go to court. I was still going to be sentenced. I was still going to have to go to prison. And eight months had gone by. My court date had been pushed back because my attorney was involved with murder cases that ran over the calendar. And eight months later, I'm sitting on my bed contemplating suicide. I just didn't want to go to prison. I had been in a lot of jails. I didn't like the rape, the meanness. 
the evil. I was facing 11 felonies, which could have been as much as 100 years in prison, and I didn't want it. I would rather be dead. Wow. So in jail, you're going through extreme situations like rape, fights, and things that probably made you hate your life even more. Let's stop here, as I want to have you back on our next show to talk about how you overcame these suicidal thoughts. And I understand you ended up living a very prosperous life with meaning and hope. You know, it's such a contrast, Wayne. So thanks for opening up for such a sensitive subject. And I know we're learning a lot about what was going on in your mind at the time. Thanks again so much. Thank you for having me. Don't go anywhere. I have some deep thoughts to share with you right after the break. Hey, everyone. As an evangelist, I'm really into changing people's lives with a powerful message of the cross. Do you know people are getting set free from drugs, addictions, and internal anguish by the power of the Holy Spirit working through our show? Will you ask the Holy Spirit if He wants you to partner with us financially? Every donation will help us to reach 1 million more people. Think of it. 30 people giving $100 a month will bring this show in front of 1 million more people. Will you help me to get to one more city in the U.S.? You can give by going to AwakenTheNations.com. Real Life Radio is a ministry of Awakening the Nations, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that depends on your donations. If you would like to find out more about Awakening the Nations or make a tax-deductible donation, please visit our website at AwakeningTheNations.com or call us at 877-480-4477. That's AwakeningTheNations.com or 877-480-4477. More real life starts now. Welcome back to the show. We're going to go deeper into what you just heard. So what do you think about this? Wayne had an interesting story because he was at the point in his life when he didn't care if he died or not. It was like, in a sense, the first step towards being suicidal, no longer caring if he could make it or would make it another day. This isn't natural. We all know that it's normal for someone to naturally want to preserve their lives, to have hope, to desire to protect their own futures. But Wayne came to a place of so much depravity that he no longer cared whether or not he lived or whether he died or what his life would become. Living a life with a motto, I just don't care what happens to me or to others. This mindset is a mindset that exists in some all across the world today. And is this mindset wrong? Well, I'm going to tell you, yes, it is. Wayne's thoughts eventually led him to having suicidal thoughts and ideation. And it's wrong to have thoughts like that. You see, it's written in Holy Scriptures in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's written, you shall not murder. That's right. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Now, just as murder is wrong, suicide is wrong because it is self-murder. Suicide isn't something that will make God happier or make others happier if we were removed from the earth. This is a lie because it's a thought that makes us believe that we have the power to take our own lives. You see, Wayne was growing towards this in his life. God never wanted us to have the power to take our own lives away by ending it prematurely by our own hands. It's written in Psalms 31, 14-15. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. You see, death for those who love God, they understand this one thing, that death and the timing of death belongs to God. It's an understanding of trust and reliance. You see, suicide is saying the opposite of this. Instead of trusting God and deciding that final day, it's wrong when Wayne was believing that he had the power and right in his own life. And the same goes to anyone contemplating suicide. 
I'm not trying to be insensitive here, but I want to take a moment and talk to the person who's considering these ideas or has in the past. Death was never designed to be in your hands. It's never your choice to choose. You see, God is the sole author and decider of when we're called to die. Yes, you have a time when you're called to die. It's not just this random moment. There's a moment when God has said, this is your time. And when our time is over in this world, that's that time. Until then, God has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And our time isn't up until we fulfill that plan in every detail. But to understand that, we have to come to a place where we say, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. We have to put our trust in God. And right now, Jesus is calling someone to do this, even now as I'm speaking. Lord God, we come to you. And for the person who's saying, you know, I never really thought about this. I never really was sure about how my life would end. But Lord, we're taking this moment to say, Lord, I trust in you. I trust in you in the future, and I will never take that power in my hands. And I surrender my life to you. Dear Lord Jesus, for those who've never received you, we receive you, Lord Jesus. We believe in your name. In Jesus' mighty name. I hope you're blessed by this testimony, and I know that your life was touched. If you want to know more about us or to make a tax-deductible donation, please check us out at AwakeningDonations.com. That's AwakeningDonations.com. See you next time.